But when we come together with God's people, we're reminded that there's a lost and dying community around us that needs to know and see the truth of the gospel. You're listening to a sermon series titled Together, preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, please visit thisisshoreline.com. continuing our series today together as we are going verse by verse through a section in 1 Corinthians. Now, I don't share this often in public, but I'm actually a member of a few uh, prestigious organizations. A lot of you don't know this about me, and so I don't share this uh, frequently, but recently I signed up for a membership with an outstanding health and wellness uh, fitness organization. I think the name actually is French, and I think it's French for Elite Fitness Club. Maybe you've heard of it, it's called Crunch. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh, I'm a member of Crunch Fitness, and it took several weeks for them to, they were going after me, they kept sending me these bulk you know, form emails that they send everyone, but they really wanted me to be a part of their organizations. And when I signed up with them for a monthly membership, um, I actually got a free t-shirt and a free $5 uh, towel. So it was great, I, I got this free towel for five bucks, and. I got this really cool barcode that I don't have to show you, um, but basically this barcode I can scan every time I go to the gym. And so that makes me now a a full-fledged paid member. Now, even though I'm a member, there's now a temptation for me to keep paying the monthly dues. I like that that's what they're called. They're called dues. And yet, even though I could just keep paying them and still call myself a member of the gym, I actually don't ever have to go back to the gym again. You could say, where do you work out? And I would say, I work out at Crunch in Lakewood Ranch. And you'd go, when's the last time you went, Pastor? And I'd say, I don't know, last year, right? So, so I could still be a member without actually going to the gym. And that is certainly not what the gym was designed for. That's not what the leaders of the gym uh, desire for me. So members who don't actually participate, that has to be frustrating for those who oversee the gym. But there's other types of memberships. I'm a little bit saddened to say that I'm no longer a membership of Hollywood Video or Blockbuster. You guys remember that? Raise your hand if you remember um, being back in the 90s when Hollywood Video, I think we have a picture of the cards back then. Now, if you're under the age of 25, let me just explain this. This is where the whole store is a red box, all right? It's like a Netflix store. You go in and you can actually pick up the item and bring it home and yeah, you have to put it into a machine. Back in the day, we actually had VHS tapes. Nowadays, they're, they're kind of vintage. But you'd actually go in the store, and there'd be a whole line of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And you're like, yes, the summer blockbuster. The thing is, the actual VHS tapes were behind the, the pictures. Remember that? And so you'd go, oh, I'm going to get the movie. And you'd start looking, and, and they were actually out. So basically, they sold memberships to a video club where... Basically, there weren't any videos available ever, if you remember that. And so it was very frustrating, frustrating for the members because we were walking in expecting to have stuff in stock, and it was not in stock. So membership for some organizations spells frustration for the overseers because the members aren't involved, or it spells frustration for the members because the organization is not actually doing what it said it was going to do. 
But what does the Bible say about this? Well, the Bible does speak about being a member of the church, but the Bible imagines something far greater than a gym membership, far better than a video club, and much different than a country club. There's a glorious reality that both the overseers and the members can all enjoy that doesn't bring frustration, it brings fullness. And that is what the Apostle Paul describes in the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we're studying together this morning. And what we're going to see as we look through this lengthy section is four aspects of the body of Christ. And listen, I have to say this as a preface. Please don't be distracted by a little bit of popping from the microphone or the lack of air conditioning this morning. Don't be distracted this morning because this text will use the word member. And because it uses the word member, I'm going to use the word member as well. Now, some of us, me included, have been leery of the word member. And I think that that is because of how the word has been misused. It's been misunderstood. It's been twisted to mean something like a country club membership or a gym membership where you have the card but don't attend. But see, the Bible uses the word, and if it's good enough for the Bible, it's good enough for us as Christians. So we're going to see four aspects of the body of Christ, and as we study this passage of Scripture, I want to encourage all of us to consider where do I personally fit in. Last week, we looked at the first section of chapter 12, and we realized that the Spirit has gifted all believers with a spiritual gift that is to be used for the edification of the church. And so now we're going to build on that idea and see what our involvement actually looks like. So here's what I want us to keep in mind. A unified church body is made up of multiple members. There's a Latin phrase on our coinage, on a lot of our currency, and it's this phrase, e pluribus unum. And that actually is considered the traditional motto of the United States. Do you know what that means? It actually means out of many, one. And the idea was that, that the 13 original, unique, distinct colonies came together to form one union, one nation. And that's really what a local church is. It's a, it's a collective of individual believers who come together to form one body. So with that in mind, here's where we're going to go this morning with the text. Look at the outline today as we look at what it means to be a church member. First of all, each church member or participant, is regenerated and baptized into Christ. We're going to see that in verses 12 and 13. And then we're going to see in verses 14 and the last of this section that we're studying today, verses 14 and 27, that each church member is a part of the greater body of Christ. We're going to see in verses 15 through 20 that each of us is unique and important. We're not homogenized. We're not like to be exactly the same. And then finally, verses 21 through 26, we're going to see that each church member is needed to be an active participant. So look with me at verses 12 and 13, and let's begin at that first one. It says in verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right, so you could say that the identity of the Christian, a lot of us want to know what our identity is. Our identity is that we have been immersed into Jesus Christ. When we talk about baptism, 
Baptism is a picture of being identified with someone. When, when 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes about the children of Israel being baptized into Moses in the, in the sea and in the cloud. The idea is that when they walked through the Red Sea, this was kind of an analogy of being baptized into Moses. Moses became their representative, their head, their leader. And Israel was now formed as a people that had been led out of Egypt and now identified with Moses. Now, you and I have a different baptism. We have been baptized into Christ. So at our conversion, we were made alive by the Spirit of God, whether you felt that or not. We were brought from death to life. The Bible calls that regeneration. We who placed our faith in Jesus Christ now have our identity in him. So we were baptized into Jesus's death. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose. So our identity is now in his death, burial, and resurrection. So the old life, the past, the, we used to call it back in the day, the old man, that's not a reference to dad, that's a reference to the old life, that's dead and gone. And we are now made alive. The new has begun. And so when we were regenerated, we received the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives within us. Some people say, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. Well, often that term is misunderstood, but simply to be baptized in the Spirit means to be identified with Jesus, to become a Christian. Now, there's another phrase in the New Testament, which is to be filled with the Spirit, but that's different than this idea of being baptized. There's one baptism in the church not multiple baptisms, but the filling of the Spirit is something that we are encouraged to constantly desire and receive. We need to be being filled, be empowered to be an effective witness and have the power to advance God's kingdom. And so we all have been baptized as Christians into Christ. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. Now, notice the word all in this section. All. Every Christian is baptized into Christ and receives the indwelling Holy Spirit. There's no one left out. So if you're a believer here today, you've been made alive. It's not like you're missing out on this idea of being identified with Christ. Romans 6, Paul said to the church in Rome, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We collectively were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in that resurrection, that newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I need an amen to that. We are going to be resurrected, and and spiritually we already have been. So we have individually been baptized into one unified body. Yes, there's different denominations, different local churches, but as one body, that means that worldly artificial distinctions now disappear because we are a part of a new community. The church is not just the place you go to sing nice songs and to tell nice stories and to feel good about yourself when you leave. We are now a part of a new people. This is a new community. And so in verse 13, Paul says these old artificial identities like Jew or Greek, slave or free, they're unnecessary, they're unimportant. So the Jewish Christian is not on like a higher plane than the Greek believer, right? The the brother in Christ who's a slave is not a liability in the church. No, he's on equal footing with the freeman. And, And so the church member is called out of the world 
and they're called to be a part of a new and greater people, God's people. So I just want to clarify this. When we say that someone is a church member, what we are not saying is that you've joined the country club. (laughs) What we are saying is that you're simply born again. You're born again. You're a member of the church. You're a member of Jesus' church. So you cannot be a member of Christ's church if you've not been made alive. Does that make sense? You, You might attend the church, like on Sundays. You may give to the church. You you may serve at the church. You might be a visible participant in a gathering of people. But in the Holy Spirit's roster of the church, your name is not found if you're not made alive. And so when church leaders invite people to be a formal member of a local church, the most obvious requirement is that those people, I don't know, need to be born again. They need to actually be Christians. How damning if a pastor were to say to someone not a Christian, hey, you're a part of Jesus' church, to give them false assurance, a false security of salvation when they weren't actually repenting and trusting in Christ. Now, we'll see why that's important later, but I want us to first look at our second idea, which is a little bit shorter one because we only have two verses. It's found in both verse 14 and verse 27. So look at verse 14. The idea here is that each church member is a part of the body. He says in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's that idea, e pluribus unum. Out of many, one. Now, again, this is a brief idea. We'll just spend a minute on this. But Paul's about to go into a very lengthy, detailed explanation of this idea of a unified collective body with individual body parts. And, and I think it should go without saying that there's no such thing as a church with a membership of one, right? I'm going to start a church by myself, right? That's not um, the idea. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the corporate body of Christ. And thus, you should be a part of a localized expression of the body of Christ. Paul said to the Ephesians on the screen, Ephesians 5.29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, in context there, Paul is speaking about husbands loving their wives and how this is a picture of Christ loving the church. And so he's saying, like, no one ever hated his own body. Like this morning, thankfully, you showered, right? You brushed your teeth. You put on the cologne. We're really thankful for that this morning. And those of you who did wear uh, the extra deodorant and antiperspirant in particular. We're very thankful for that today, me included. I'm glad I'm wearing a dark shirt so the um, you know, stains aren't showing. But we took care of ourselves uh, before coming to be around people. And, and so that's the idea. You, you don't hate your flesh. You nourish it. You cherish it. You're hungry. You feed it. You care for it. And so Paul's saying that's how Christ is for his church. And then he says because we're members of his body. we We are a part of his body. So a body is not neglected. It's not ignored. It's nourished. It's cherished. It's cared for. Christ cares for his church, and you and I are members of his church. So you, plural, corporately, are the body of Christ. And you, singularly, individually, are a member of Christ's body, the church. Now, you might say, okay, you're beating a dead horse. Well, this concept becomes incredibly important in the next section. So look at the next section, and he begins to talk about individual members of bodies. 
So he takes a body and he zooms into one part of the body. So notice verse 15. If the foot should go on strike and say, I'm not a hand, I'm done with the body. That wouldn't make it a less part of the body. Verse 16, he says, if the ear gets jealous of the eye, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And then in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, just one big eye, then where would, the sen- where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And then verse 18, he says, God is sovereignly overseeing and arranging the body. So the third idea I want us to jot down this morning is that each church member is unique and important. Okay, notice with me Paul's smaller points here in this section. Kind of three smaller points. First of all, he's saying just because you don't like your place in the church doesn't mean you're not a part of Christ's church. So he kind of describes the, the, the feet going on strike against the hands. Now, can you just imagine that for a minute? Your feet saying, you know what? I, I wish I were a hand. Now, I actually am glad nobody caught this on camera, but I saw... Um, someone who was disabled who, who could not use their hands and they used their feet for everything. They were opening the door. And so <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit this, but for a few hours one day, I tried that. I tried to see what it would like to not use my hands and just barefoot, like try to get the door, try to, you know, my wife wouldn't let me serve lunch that day, but uh, I tried all these different things and it was incredibly difficult. Uh, the feet can't go on strike any more than the hands, the eyes, or the ears can. So you cannot exclude yourself just because you feel like your gift is not as noticeable or glamorous as someone else's. In the same way, on the flip side, you can't exclude someone else because you don't think they seem important. Paul's going to explain that in verse 21 in just a moment. But the second small point is that if every person were gifted exactly the same way, then we would be an imbalanced monstrosity. Just think about this. If, if we, and in fact, you can think about this because there's a Disney Pixar movie called Monsters, Inc., where there is one ginormous eye, right? I, uh, I forget his name, but someone yell it out. I know you guys know the name. Wazowski, right. And so he's one ginormous eye with legs and, and arms, and it's kind of, he's a monster. It's a monstrosity. So imagine we just, as a body of Christ, are just one big ear with feet. <laughs> just imagine uh, we're an oversized nose with eyebrows, The body works the way that it does because of the variety of functions that every single member contributes. Paul's third little point here is that a body part, a part of the body, is still a part of the body. So that makes sense? A body part is still a part of the body. So when someone runs a marathon, you don't go up to them and fall down and congratulate their legs. You go to them and praise them. When someone competes in the Olympic Games, In gymnastics, it's not their their hands or their arms that are given the gold medal. It is them as an entire person. So we may be disappointed that we aren't an eye or a hand or uh, an ear. Maybe we're just a pancreas. But isn't the pancreas incredibly important and a functioning part of the body? Yes. And, And so we all have an important part to play in the church. Every church member is unique. Every church member is important. It should be incredibly encouraging to those of us who may not have used our gifts yet in the local expression of the church. We, we might find ourselves overlooked or mislooked at other fellowships, and we're here at Shoreline saying, I just want to use my gifts. I want to, I want to be raised up for ministry. 
We have such a great opportunity for every part of our church to be raised up and to be used. Notice verse 18. Verse 18 says, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So we have to rest in the sovereign oversight of God in equipping his church for extending his glory. God is the grand designer of the body, and God has ensured that everyone has something. In other words, not one person has all the gifts. How great would it be if we alone came to Christ and and began to trust Christ and were suddenly gifted by his spirit and we had all the gifts? We had all the gifts necessary for the edification of the church. That'd be awesome. We'd just go start our own church. We'd be the only member of the church. We'd be the only worship leader in the church. We'd be the only giver in the church. We'd be the only, we could complain about the church, and we would listen to our complaint, and we'd do something about it. I mean, it would be a monstrosity, ultimately. That's not a body. That's an imbalanced monstrosity. So uh, we all have a part to play. Now, thirdly, I want us to look at verse 21, and this point is really important, and that is that each church member is needed. And we're needed to be an active participant. He says in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Again, as we mentioned earlier, you can't say that about yourself, and you can't say that that about someone who seems gifted differently than you. No one is to be excluded from using their gifts in the local church body. Okay? Verse 22, he says, On the contrary, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Now, this seems a little confusing at first. first. When you first read this, you go, well, what does he mean? The body parts that are unimportant and those that are, are honorable and those that need greater modesty, um, it can seem a little bit um, confusing. Most scholars believe that the unpresentable parts, it has nothing to do with nudity necessarily and like your, your private parts. The idea here is that these seem to be weaker are most likely internal. So these are the ones that we don't see on the outside, like your heart, your lungs, your stomach, your intestines. Uh, Of course, we know every part of the body is important to the overall health and function of the body, not just what we see physically. So every body system, so the endocrine system, the cardiovascular system, the nervous, the musculoskeletal, even the integumentary system, learned that one a long time ago in science, that's your skin. That plays an important role in the overall health and function of the body. But, But don't miss Paul's greater point here. He's saying... Every part of the body is important, even the things that don't seem important. Like your pinky toe does not seem to be a a real vital part of the functioning of your body until you stub it, right? Until it's broken. You break your pinky toe and suddenly alarms are going off in every part of your body that there's a problem. And so everything is noticing and everything's affected by even the smallest part of your body. So a body with no lungs can't breathe. A body with no digestive system can eat a lot of pizza, but it's not going to live a very long time. So according to verse 25, we in the body, the point of this, the point of God distributing the gifts evenly so that we can use them in the church, here's the point, verse 25, that there may be no division. No division, but notice, 
that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, we don't want imbalance where just one person in the church gets all the care and all the affection and all the attention in the church where others go completely unnoticed. We want there to be care for all people in the church. That means we're not to have division. And that means partly that you and I are not to live disjointed, segregated, separated lives where we just look to the world or we just look to our family to help care for our needs. When that happens in a human body, when some cells clump together and say, we're doing our own thing, we're going to separate ourselves from the rest of the body, we've got our own agenda, we're going to do our own thing, that is called cancer. And so we need to make sure that we don't do this in the body of Christ, that we're joined together with Christ and his church. Um, Thornton says this on the screen. He says, in the body of Christ, there are, strictly speaking, no private sufferings. All are shared because there is one life of the whole. Accordingly, wrong done to one member is wrong done to the whole church and therefore to Christ himself. And so all of us are affected when one of us is affected. That's why elsewhere in the scriptures we're told to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's why we've emphasized praying for our brothers and sisters in California, praying for our our brothers and sisters around the world. There's not like a persecuted church and then the non-persecuted church. We're all the body of Christ. And so we need to realize that there uh, is needs out there that need to be uh, prayed for. Now, as we consider this text, I wanted to spend a lot more time today on the application of this text because there's some important things I want us to think about and to contemplate as a congregation, okay? So we're going to apply this um, entire scripture in a few different ways and um, I have to say this, we have not had formal a, or a formal recognition of church members in the past. And the reason we didn't is because I felt that it was unnecessary and it was unimportant. Um, as I've read, studied, grown in the Lord, um, I've been studying God's word and I realized, you know what? There are some important reasons to say this is the commitment I'm making to the church. It'd be like saying, you're welcome to be a part of our family without marrying anyone. You can just kind of live together with the person you would have married. You can just live with them and that's okay in our family. And and you can just be kind of like common law marriage rather than making a covenant, a commitment. And, And so this is an area I've grown in and I think there's a few important and necessary reasons why we should prayerfully begin to incorporate recognition Uh, with members into Shoreline Church. And we're going to be rolling this out in the fall. But here's a few things I want us to think about. First of all, if you're like saying, I don't like this idea, I'd love for you to jot these down. I want all of us to consider this for a minute. Uh, Because if I'm against members and I can come somewhere, I think all of us can. So here, number one, to apply this, I want us to think of the phrase, the covenant community. All right? So first of all, the covenant community distinguishes us from the world. The church is the covenant community. And this helps uh, distinguish us from the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 on the screen, Paul asks some questions. He says this, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, 
nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he's saying that's what you were. But you were washed, past tense. You were sanctified, you were justified, past tense. You were living in those sins in an unrepentant way. But now in Christ, you've been made new, and you're now a part of his body. Now, you might still sin. In fact, you will still sin. But when you sin as a Christian, I I spoke to a couple this week about this. When you're a Christian, there's now conviction of sin. There's now brokenness over sin, and there's now a reality that I am violating a holy God, and there's a sense of repentance. So being a member of Jesus' church means we're joined to Christ And that means we're no longer joined to this world. Being a recognized participant in a covenant community, yes, you could call it a member, it means that we're safeguarding the church from people who are not actually believers. People that just sneak in, well, I'm just going to live together without actually making a covenant. So as elders, as pastors, we're, we're committed to putting up roadblocks so phonies or balonies don't invade and sabotage the church. Does that make sense? So, so the covenant community as a body of Christ distinguishes us from the world. There's a visible church and an invisible church, and we'd love to see those line up as closely as possible. Secondly, if you're taking note to apply this, this covenant community disciplines us for holiness. I'm about to say something that's very surprising. But one of the most beautiful aspects of being a part of a church is church discipline. Someone says, wait, huh? Wait, no, hold on. You mean one of the worst and ugliest things about being a part of the church? Well, if that's your idea, sadly, sadly, you have not seen it done correctly. Or you misunderstand the point of church discipline. Listen, the worst and ugliest thing in a church is sin. It's sin. Uh, but, but when we th- uh, think about church discipline, um, this is when Christians come around one another and encourage one another to not sin. We come around each other and we say, hey, put off that sin, put on Christ. And that's not ugly. That's not bad. That's expected of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So if I love someone, if I love you, like we're hanging out after service and I love you, and you begin to get on your phone and begin walking into traffic, if I love you, I'm going to stop you from walking into traffic, uh, because if not, your ignorance or your neglect is going to destroy you. So because I love you, I'm going to stop you. So church discipline is not just when you're brought up and it's in front of the church. Church discipline is, is when two men sit down for coffee, and, and one confesses to the other, hey, pray for me, I'm struggling with pornography. And his brother in Christ looks at him and and begins to weep with him, begins to mourn with him, and begins to hold him accountable uh, for holiness. Church discipline is when a woman begins to gossip about others. And finally, a sister in the church lovingly confronts her to stop sinning. Church discipline is when a parent sits down with another parent, not in a judgy way, but to just encourage them with a word of exhortation that, hey, you're allowing your home to be a child-directed home rather than enforcing rules. And I love you and I want to help you. I want to pray for you and encourage you. See, all of those are examples of church discipline. 
It's when we say to someone, hey, your testimony of being identified with Christ may eventually be in jeopardy because you're not repenting. You're not living in a way that communicates the gospel. And if that person says, I reject that, I reject you, I don't want to have anything to do with holiness, I don't care if that's what my testimony is, I'm going to persist in sin, well, well, then at some point, Matthew 18 says, then the elders need to get involved and say, wait, time out. You can't live in unrepentant sin and say you're a Christian. You need to repent. And if you don't repent, well, you can't continue to say you're a Christian and thus a member of Christ's church because Christians don't sin without repenting. If you think I'm being harsh here, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I don't want to go beyond what Scripture says. And Paul even says, expel the immoral brother who's among you. Now, you can't be expelled if you didn't belong in the first place, right? Belong, belonging implies you're not a false professor. You're a true Christian. So expelling means you're acting outside of your profession. So you need to be rebuked. You need to be disciplined. You need to be prayed for and encouraged. And the, the heart behind all of this is restoration, not exposure. Let's embarrass the guy. That's not the idea. It's restoration. And all of this, all of this is not because the leaders of the church are bored and want to find things to nitpick. It's all for the edification and for the building up, for the benefit of the church corporately and the benefit of the Christian. So the covenant community helps us to be more like Jesus in ways that living independently simply never would. Now that brings us to our third application point, and that is that the covenant community disrupts our independence. It really does. We live in a Western cultural context, so this point isn't as applicable everywhere in the world and at all times. But let me just speak to us in 2020 America. We have much more independence than we do interdependence. Does that make sense? We have much more independence than interdependence. So a lot of us in the, the greater church, I'm not saying us at Shoreline, but the greater Western church in America um, as a whole squeezes in church involvement when and if it doesn't interfere with other things like work, rest, travel, vacation, school, retirement, Netflix, and our children's activities. Uh, and so it's really in Western American culture, church culture, it is a foreign concept to think about moving closer to the church. I spoke to some shoreliners in the last year, and they said, where's the new location going to be? Because we're thinking about moving. I was like, oh, really? You guys are moving away? They said, no, we want to move wherever is closer to the church location. That's, that's a foreign concept in the American church. It's an alien notion to think about, let me work less at my job so that I can devote more time to discipleship and serving. Often in the American church, people leave on Sundays wondering why no one spoke with them, but whenever someone invites them to lunch afterwards or over to their homes, they almost always decline. And not only that, but there are also, in the church, when we talk about disrupting our independence, there are elders and deacons who are appointed to oversee the church. And we're called to listen to them, we're called to honor them, we're called to esteem them, and we're called to follow their example as they follow Christ. One person has said this, I'll put this quote on the screen, you don't join a church as much as you submit to one. I think that's a helpful phrase for us to think about. So, so leaving all the church membership formalities aside for a moment, is this true of you? 
In other words, are you submitted to a local church? If you're watching online or you're just visiting today, if it's not Shoreline, where? See, the church doesn't exist just for us. We exist for the glory of God and the benefit of others. So I want to challenge you to submit to a local church. Maybe all the churches you've been visiting who seem to have all the issues, maybe the issue is with you, not with all of those churches. You need to submit to a local church. You need to be an active participant. And that brings us to a fourth idea. The covenant community depends upon us, depends upon us to participate. So in this covenant community, let me, let me, I've been doing some analogies towards the end of the sermons in this series. Let me, let me give you an analogy. We are not customers who, procl- uh, who complain about the products. No, instead we are shareholders who have bought in and are investors in the company. Does that make sense? So we are not saying, well, that's somebody else's corporation. No, it belongs to us. It's not somebody else's problem to fix. We are a part of the church, thus it's our church, and we're responsible to help. It's too easy today to disagree about a secondary issue and then just go find another church that will agree with us more than the one that we just left. See, as Paul points out, every member is important. In a body, even the most seemingly unimportant body parts are crucial. And so our covenant community is depending upon us to participate. Can you just imagine for a minute if our pastors at Shoreline just decided, you know what, we're just, we're not going to use our gifts anymore at the church. We're just going to, we're going to take our gifts and we're going to just go work full-time in the world. Somebody else can shepherd, somebody else can teach. Can you imagine if our hospitality team decided, you know what, Uh, we're just going to stop being hospitable. What if those who were generous just decided it's time to be stingy? What if the people who serve and help behind the scenes, and we have such an amazing team of people who work behind the scenes, what if everyone decided at once, we're just going to withhold our participation? What would happen? Every aspect of our church would suffer. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I want every member of this church to be a worker. We do not want any drones. If there are any of you who want to eat and drink and do nothing, there are plenty of places elsewhere where you can do it. There are empty pews about in abundance. Go and fill them. The most quarrelsome persons are the most useless, and they who are the most happy are peaceable, and generally those who are doing most for Christ. Wow. I read that this week, and I was like, wow, the spurge is getting a little strong here, but man, do I need to hear that. I need to be challenged in that. I remember I was hearing in, I was like 20 years old, 19 years old, I heard at my church this call to help with youth ministry. And I thought, wow, I better pray for someone to get involved with youth ministry because that ain't going to be me. I'm not going to go help with teenagers. I just, you know, I just am almost out of my teen years. And, and yet the Spirit prompted me and became involved. And it was a big joke because now I haven't, still haven't gotten out of ministry. So thanks, Lord, for that one. But uh, what a joy it is to be involved in the ministry of the church. And, and we can look to others to do that or we can get involved. So finally, last point here, the covenant community dispatches us on mission. Church, the Bible calls us to be a participant, not a subscriber. I think sometimes we think of being a member as being a subscriber. Like, like go on Patreon, and, and if you're a subscriber, then you get extra content, special content. You get it to be in the special club, but you don't have to do much to contribute. Just give a little bit, and you're good. And I think if that's our idea of church, 
just being a subscriber, then we miss the biblical picture of what it means to be an active member in an active body. So, so if we were just to come here and sing a few fun songs and get a feel-good message that motivates us to have a great start to our week, or on the flip side, if we come and say, I'm just here to learn a few doctrinal truths and to check off my religious deed for the Lord's Day, well then listen, we could go anywhere to just subscribe and watch that. But when we come together with God's people and we covenant together with other Christians, we're reminded that there's a lost and dying community around us that needs to know and see the truth of the gospel. And thus, this, the church, the covenant community, dispatches us on mission. When the church is about us, or we aren't in covenant with other Christians, the mission quickly becomes about us. It becomes about our comfort, our needs, our ease. But when we've committed our lives with other believers, then together our mission begins to shift to the needs and the desperation of the world around us and the hope that the gospel provides. I was just at GSI's orientation this week, and Pastor Michael will share about this in our commission time at the end of the service, but when I was there this week, I observed about 10 couples who are almost all in their 20s and 30s, and there's about 24 from last year who are now waiting for their visas, and these families are trading their lives of abundance and ease for a life of hardship and gospel mission, and they're heading out to the ends of the earth with the Spirit's empowering and a willingness to do hard things to see the nations one to faith. And as I sat there hearing their, um, their messages and kind of seeing them and talking with them, I was challenged. I was challenged myself as I'm around these other believers, like, I want to be on mission. Lord, am I on mission enough? Can I do more to mobilize the church? Can I equip the saints? And so being around other Christians that I'm covenanting with excites me to stop living a life of ease, and to start joining God in his redemptive work in the messy and difficult world that is all around us, guys. It, it, it excites me to be involved in the redemptive work of God. Now, as we close, I'm excited to announce that we are going to be implementing what we call covenant participation in Shoreline this fall. So up until now, what that looked like was a little more loose. You'd kind of come to church, then you'd attend the next class, and then after that, we would just have you sign up to serve. Uh, and so now we're going to require um, your blood to be given. We're going to require, no, I'm, not, I'm obviously joking. Um, what we're going to do this fall is we're basically going to add a layer to that. We're going to have classes. We're going to have resources that encourage those who are attending to make a commitment, to make a commitment not just to one another, but to make a commitment to Jesus and the church. Our elders are also making a commitment. Uh, and so we want to get to know everyone's testimony. We're realizing we have almost 200 people attending Shoreline plus kids, and we don't know every single person. We don't know everyone's testimony. So this is a good thing. This is how we can know and be involved in our church. Uh, we want to make agreements together that we can sign, that we can see, and that we can pursue together to glorify Christ together. Again, we as elders are committed to shepherding the flock, to loving the flock, leading the flock, protecting the flock from false teaching, and laying down our lives for the sheep. When we do this together, this is the body of Christ. Some people might call that being a church member. Others call it 
participating in the covenant community, covenant membership. The terminology is not the main focus. The main focus is that we as regenerated, unique, active participants in the church are called to be a visible of one united local church body. And when we do this, when we are a part of this, we see unity and diversity. I want to close with a story that uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse shared years ago. And I love this picture of unity and diversity. He says this. He says, several years ago, two students graduated from the Chicago Kent College of Law. The highest ranking student in the class was a blind man named Overton. And when he received his honor, he insisted that half the credit should go to his friend. Not even going to try to pronounce it. They had met one another in school when the armless uh, man had met the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. This acquaintance ripened into friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books which the armless man read aloud in their common study, and thus the individual deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. After their graduation, they planned to practice law together. Isn't that beautiful? I love that phrase. The deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. When my wife Jen and I do marriage counseling, premarital counseling, we sit down and it's almost always awesome to see how the gifts of one spouse uniquely complements the weaknesses or the deficiencies of the other. And they fit so well. They complement each other so well. It's beautiful in a marriage. And you know what? It's beautiful in a church community. So may we, as Shoreline Church, agree together in the Lord. And may we submit to Christ's plan for his bride, his body, the church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this text. And Lord, it can be challenging for those of us who have heard uh, the idea that membership or uh, being a, a vital, active, visible part of a local church body is a bad thing. Lord, I pray that um, some of this text and um, context has maybe given us a new appreciation for what the scripture says. Lord, there's so many other verses we could appeal to. There's so many other great resources out there that can speak to this. But Father, we thank you that you have sovereignly arranged the body so that no one is overlooked, so that no one receives honor and then someone else does not, that we together can use our gifts in a complementary way to build up the body of Christ. So Lord, would you lead us as a fellowship, lead us as leaders, lead us as participants. Lord, we certainly don't want to fashion some country club where everyone who's a part of it gets special access. But we are thankful that those who are born again by the Spirit of God can agree together to pray for one another, to lay down their lives for one another, to help raise each other's children and, and point one another to the gospel. Lord, I need that in my life. I need accountability. I need prayer. I need support. I need friendships. So Lord, may we not shrink back from this and be reviled by it, but be encouraged and excited about what it means to be a visible participant in a covenant community. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for how it disrupts our lives and our independence. Lord, allow the church to be that for us, that we'd be interdependent, that we'd lean on one another in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. Today, as we sit in a non-air-conditioned room, we realize 
that thousands of tens of thousands of believers in the third world have walked miles and miles to sit outside and sweat, and yet they're eager to learn the word of God. Lord, we are thankful for them, and we pray that you'd encourage the church and help us to be a blessing and a resource to our brothers and sisters around the world. We love you. We thank you. We worship you alone. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Freedom Elementary School on State Road 64. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.